today is part two of an ongoing sermon series. The last time I was here, we did part one. The series is titled, From the Beginning to the End. And so the last time I was here, we looked at Genesis chapter one and verse one, and we saw how in the beginning, God, God was there. God predates the beginning. The beginning begins because God willed it. God did not need a beginning. God started the beginnings. Uh, We didn't even bother trying to explain how we know that God was there because Moses didn't even bother that. He just said, in the beginning, God. God was there. Then we looked at how God is the creator and the sustainer of all things, that he created the heavens and the earth. And we, we, we noticed that that was the, the beginning for basically mankind's history, humanity's history, not the history of God or even the history of the farthest reaches of the universe, but, but that what pertains or that which pertains to mankind. That's the beginning, the heavens and the earth. We also looked at a little bit of the Hebrew uh, function of the words, the etymology of the words, and how uh, God's plurality in Genesis 1-1 shouldn't be construed to mean something about the Trinity, but it is talking about God and his grandness, his might, his power, because we're talking about a God who can bara, create, And only the mightiest, grandest, biggest God can do that because only that word is credited to him. Men and women cannot bara, only God can. So using the the Hebrew plural is a comment on his grandness, his majesty in the formation of all that we know. Today we're going to look at what comes after Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, because we're going to follow through with this from the beginning to the end, uh, and, and I almost forgot the, the to the end part is when we read Genesis 1-1 and we see that there is a grand mighty God who can create and not just create, but can create heavens and earth, you need that when you need a recreated heart. You need a God that big because some of us are that bad and only he can make us anew. We need that. And that is, that is from your beginning all the way until the end. Remember, the work that he began in you, he will complete. He will finish and we need a God like that. We are now going to turn to Genesis 1-2. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to that. Shouldn't be hard to find. It's the first book, the first chapter, the second verse in our Bibles. And actually, I knew I brought this up here for a reason. If I can hold my Bible open. The Bible closes on me. We begin, though, by talking not about God and and not really about creation. We begin by talking about the elites in our world, or the elitists in our world. We began by talking about the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum has apparently been around for quite some time, but only in recent years have they actually been making more headline kind of news. They've even started live streaming all of their meetings. In case you don't know what the World Economic Forum is, the WEF, uh, the WEF is comprised of 
the creme de la creme of the elites in our world. We're talking about elected officials, uh, heads of states, uh, billionaires, multimillionaires, CEOs of international corporations. We're talking about the movers and the shakers of those who move and shake. As high up that ladder in terms of the global ladder you can think of, that's where we find the World Economic Forum. And, and businessmen and businesswomen and, and activists that are highly influential, that's where we find them. It's really a, only a tiny, tiny group when you think about the billions of people that they represent or that they have an influence over or that they claim to have authority over. And so you really should kind of pay attention. I don't, I don't suggest getting lost in the weeds of it all, but you should kind of know what they talk about um, because a lot of what they talk about does come down and impact us on a real, uh, real day-to-day basis. The first time that I really kind of looked into this or, or started paying attention was in 2020 in the midst of the COVID epidemic. The founder, the head of the World Economic Forum, Charles Schwab, at that time talked about the COVID epidemic not as how sad it is that people are sick and dying, how sad it is that we're kind of making or muddling our way through a novel virus, and and he didn't even talk about let's hold some people accountable for how it happened or what's going on, why, why should we do this. Instead, Charles Schwab said this, Speaking about the epidemic, there is now a brief opportunity for global leaders to cooperate to achieve a great reset. That was the first time we heard that phrase used. This is a step forwards to a more resilient, cohesive, equitable, and prosperous world. In other other words, uh, don't let a good crisis go to waste. There's now an opportunity to take advantage of, not... It's very sad and tragic that people are dying. How can we help them? It was, let's take advantage of it. He continued, he said this at the G20 summit in that year. If we look at all the challenges, we can speak about the multi-crises, economic, political, social, ecological, and institutional crises. But actually what we have to confront is a deep systemic and structural restructuring of our world. And this will take some time, and the world will look differently after we have gone through this transition process. When you talk about deep systemic crises and a complete global restructuring of things, um, I might summarize that as this is a man who's looking at an opportunity to take advantage of recreating the world after his ideology. That's how I might summarize it. Others may disagree with me, but that's kind of what I hear here. And at that summit, he concluded with this, we have continuous partnerships with many governments around the world. Then, of course, we have NGOs, we have trade unions, we have all those different parts, of course, media, and very important experts, scientists, and academia, religious leaders, and social entrepreneurs. This is not just big government telling people what to do. There is a spiritual component to this because there are religious leaders involved in these conversations. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't think or, or confuse ourselves or by naive, be naive enough to think that all the global religious leaders are all on the same page about all of the various religious moral things 
we consider. So maybe we should take note. This year, only a couple of weeks ago, in January of 2023, I believe two weeks ago, they had their, their big summit, and he started, Charles Schwab, started off that summit by declaring the year 2023 as the year of the polycrisis, the multi-crisis. It's the year of multiple crises. That's what 2023 should be defined as or known as. And he says this, we couldn't meet at a more challenging time, Schwab declared. We are confronted with so many crises simultaneously. What does it, I don't want to say that just yet, I'm going to get ahead of myself. What crises come to mind? Is it fair to say that there is a financial crisis, if not already present, it's right on, right on the horizon? Uh, an easy example for me is the cost of groceries. I think the official number is somewhere around 8 to 10%, but I know our grocery bill has not gone up only by 8 or 10%. Eggs, in case you haven't heard it, eggs are now one of the fastest growing black market imports illegally being smuggled into our country because of how much they're worth in our country. It's, it's incredible. You know, when Border Patrol is, is just seizing eggs by the crate loads, um, I mean, it makes me pause and wonder what, if, if this is a crisis. We can think of the natural disasters we've had. You know, Tornado Alley, when I was a child, was, you know, that north half of Texas and Oklahoma and into Iowa and then Arkansas. That was kind of Tornado Alley. They're now proposing a new revamped Tornado Alley that's more Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, kind of, you know, right along the south now because the weather has shifted. Uh, a lot of people are talking about it, and it's true. Weather, weather has kind of shifted a little. Uh, we know that there are earthquakes. We know that there are floods. We know that there are droughts. So you could say that there are natural crises that are occurring. We've got uh, new viruses, obviously, and some are just um, antibacterial resistant strains because Everyone's taking antibacterials. And so these viruses and these bacteria do what they do. They mutate to live. And so they become more and more resistant. Uh, we have, I guess, global strife with war. Have we, have we heard of Russia and Ukraine? Have we heard of North Korea? Have we heard of China growing in aggression? Or, or what has happened in, in Afghanistan with how the Taliban is all of a sudden... I mean, the, those are all crises, if we think about it. There's, there's loss of life and loss of, 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 of uh, buildings and, and livelihoods, and the threat seems to always be there. So maybe it's fair to say that we're on a verge of a polycrisis. But this is where, this is where we need to look, and we're going to swing this into our verse. When we think about multiple crises and people are very confused and people are very stressed and people are losing hope and people are doing all of that, I might use the word chaos to describe what we find ourselves in. Does that sound like a fair word to to just kind of label across what we are confronted with? It's a little chaotic out there. Uh, We now have riots in Memphis because of more body cam footage uh, it's very sad, um, but we have more riots. feels like every time we turn around, there's chaos 
and anarchy and people cheering on the chaos. But when this man is looking at the crises, fair enough, and he's perhaps considering it chaotic, also fair enough, what does this man say next? He goes, we are confronted with so many crises simultaneously. What does it need or what do we need to master the future? I want to pause for a moment. What do we need to master the future? I think to have a platform where all stakeholders of global society are engaged, governments, business, civil society, the young generation I could go on, I think is a first step to meet all the challenges. When you are faced with something chaotic, How many of us have thought that we could take the chaos and fix it so then the future we could have mastered? How many of us are tempted to do that? Oh, sure, sure. I like to be in control of my future. (laughs) I like to kind of know where I'm going. I certainly don't like the chaos and the questions and the uncertainty. But can we? When we look at chaos, when we look at all of that, can we actually declare that we will bend all of our efforts and make others bend their efforts so that we can control the future. How successful is that endeavor? We can't. I I can't control the future any more than to guarantee that I'm going to go from here to home without an accident. And that's only, I can drive as, as safely as I can. I can obey all the road rules. I can't control the future. I can't control when I might die. I pray I'm going to be here when Christ splits that eastern sky. But maybe that's not according to God's will. I can't control that. When I face chaos, what do I do and how should I respond? Well, I would like to learn of God and how he responds when he faces chaos. We're going to turn to Genesis 1 and verse 2. The word of God reads this, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We go from the verse, from the previous verse where God created the heavens and the earth, and then the second verse, we get a few more details to what the heavens and the earth would have been in the beginning. And in the beginning, things were there. Matter was present because it says that the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. It says that the earth was without form and it was void, but for it to be void and without form meant that it was there but formless. Just kind of empty and, and there. It was dark. It didn't have any logic. It didn't have any order to it. It was chaotic. I, I read that and I think about the times in my life when, when I couldn't recognize form. I kind of felt like I was just moving along. I might have been going through the motions, but perhaps there was a little bit of guesswork involved. I think, some, I think sometimes people feel like that. They just, they just feel like I'm, I'm just, like time is passing, but I don't really have a purpose in my life. I don't really have a structure in my life. I'm I'm getting older and I can see other people doing things, but that's not me. 
I'm, I'm lost or questioning or wondering or, or what is the purpose to life at all if I don't have a purpose. And then if you linger too long on that, maybe you start to feel a little more void. You feel a little empty. You feel like there's a, a, a hole and a, and, a, and a depth to you that you want to fill, that you, you long to find that purpose or you long to find that someone or that something that can give you what you're so desperately needing in your chaotic feelings. And if you can't find it and you linger too long there, so many people start to feel void. I think that's relatable. I want to consider a moment the, the, the words for this. Without form and void is, is really only used a couple of times in the Old Testament. It's used here in terms of the, the, what the earth was before God considered it and willed upon it. Uh, empty and, and no shape and no logic and no purpose and, and darkness was there. And then we see it again as a part of, of the blessings and the cursings when God is talking to his, his children, Israel, and the prophets are giving them messages and they're saying, if you're not uh, living according to my purpose for you, my will for you, then your, your land will become a wasteland because you see what we see, what God is doing here is he's looking at the nothingness and in his in his infinite considerations, he's going, I'm about to prepare a place for my people. He was already thinking of you and I and, and Adam and Eve as, as he's hovering over all of that. He's seeing the darkness and he's seeing the lack of purpose and he's seeing the, the voidnesses that are there. And he's in his considerations, he's about to prepare a land ultimately for his crowning creation, mankind. Similar language is used for the promised land with Israel. Similar language is used when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. He's preparing land and, and, and a place to live and a home for his people. But then the warning for Israel is, if you don't live next to me and honor me as your creator, God, then your land will become a wasteland. That wasteland word in that warning given, that's the shared words that we find here. That wasteland means if you're not connected to me, this land I've prepared for you reverts back to void, no purpose, uh, empty. It returns back to without form and void. It returns back to chaos when you're not connected to me. Yeah, the Greek translation for this, and we're, we're, about to move, we're about to move off of this. The Greek translation for the face of the deep, that's abusos. That's, that's the same word in Revelation when Satan is bound and chained for a thousand years in the abyss, in the abusos, same word. What God shaped and created here, when we get all the way to the end of time and the end of the biblical accounts and right before Christ comes back, we can see, all right, 
This is what happens when a sinful world has wandered after a counterfeit God, distanced themselves from me, the giver and sustainer of life. It uncreates itself. We've got plagues and we've got earthquakes and we've got hailstones and we've got sin running rampant and people with murderous intent and everything else going on. And and then Jesus returns and the elements melt with fervent heat and so on. And the result is that the earth, as best we understand it, finds itself closer to this state without form and void, and it's just deep and just kind of broken and there. In other words, if you have found yourself without a purpose or a form in your life, if you have wondered too long on that and you have found a voidness there, it's good to ask the question, have we shifted away from our Creator God? Have we neglected to stay close to Him in that relationship because He's prepared a home for us, He's prepared us for Him? And if we find ourselves looking a little bit more like the early earth, have we gotten away from Him and tried to fill our voids with something else or someone else than Him? In other words, is your life feeling chaotic and could it have something to do with your relationship to God? We find so much chaos in our world today. We find so many people wanting desperately to get rid of God out of all the conversations. And the net result everywhere has been immorality, indecency, an unloving and unkind spirit, narcissism and pride in an exponential growth and a loss of hope, a loss of need to be alive, a loss of, a loss of purpose in the life that we are living. When we get God out of the equation, our society is without form and void and darkness is over the face of our abusos that we find ourselves in. We need God, my friends. But God. One of the greatest two words you can combine when considering your spiritual experience and your spiritual walk and your discipleship journey is when you're feeling like this, there's always that opportunity for but God. But God, at the end of this verse, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You see, that chaos was not going on and God was oblivious to it. The chaos, the, the darkness, the without form, all of that was there. It existed. The matter was present because God at some point in the beginning, before the beginning, whenever, whenever in that timeline, God thought matter should be here. We've got a canvas now and chaos is there, but God is drawing close to it. God is inching ever closer, so close that it's, it's described as hovering over and hovering upon and, and, and like leaning in. I can, I can envision the Spirit of God doing that. I can, envision, I can envision the Spirit of God coming close to the chaos, not afraid of the darkness, not afraid of the, 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 the disturbance that is existing there. 
God is not afraid of what our earth was, the, the condition of our earth at that time, and God is certainly not afraid of whatever condition you find yourself in today. He draws close to you, but God draws close to you. He hovers over you, He looks at you, and He considers your chaos. He considered the earth's chaos at this time in the beginning, and the Spirit of God is hovering near to all of His precious sons and daughters today, considering your chaos. He's considering where you are in your life, and He's considering what trials you're going through. He he looks at not just in our frailty, how are we reacting to something, but he's, he's reading our, our innermost thoughts and our feelings and our, our intentions and our heart better than we could ever understand even with a million hours of counseling. Get counseling if you need it. God knows us better than that. He hovers close to us in those moments of chaos. And when God hovers close... I trust God as the master of the future, capital M. No man or woman, in my estimation, should declare themselves the master of the future. I trust God to be the master of my future as he considers my chaos. When he looks at me and he sees what I'm going through, the highs and the lows, I trust that in His loving kindness, in His infinite grace, He will pour out in me the purpose that I need. He will pour out in me and fill up that void that I might be experiencing. He will pour out in me the light from Jesus Christ so that I don't have a darkness over my face. When God considers my chaos, he will then give me and fill me and bless me and equip me with all that I need so that even if chaos continues, it's not mine because I am in Christ. What do you picture as God hovers over the face of the waters? Do you picture a helicopter parent? That the term came up with the, I believe the millennial generation, as they started to kind of have kids, it was, it was you know, they would, they would hover over their children and, and, and really kind of to the kids' detriment, not allow them to do risky things safely. I think kids should learn risky things safely because how else are they going to learn about getting through the challenges in life? But a helicopter parent hovers and protects and bubble wraps and defends so much that the kids can't experience disappointment or a sprained ankle or, or mud between their fingers. In other words, a helicopter parent protects them so much that the kids can't experience life. Is that what comes to mind when we see God hovering over the chaos. Does God, does God stop all the bad things from happening in our lives? No. He says, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. Not might, not possibly could, will. Don't be fooled or deceived by the prosperity gospel. That is a deception. You don't give your heart to God, and from then, golden sailing and perfect harmony. 
You will have trials and tribulations. Things, things are rocky in our world, are they not? So when God hovers over your chaos, what comes to mind? Rescue. Salvation. I, I think of, I have two verses. One is our scripture reading for today, and you can turn there if your fingers are still there. This is from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is Moses' last sermon to the children of Israel before they entered the promised land. After giving this final sermon, he then alone only with God as his witness ascends a mountain, uh, sees the promised land in vision, uh, looks at what the children are going to be experiencing and even the Messiah and so on, and then goes to sleep dies on that mountain with God as only as the only excuse me the only witness but as Moses is bringing his sermon to an end we have this Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel this is Deuteronomy 32 give ear o heavens and i will speak and let the earth hear the words of my mouth and so on and then we get to verses 10 11 and 12 he that is god found him that is Jacob and Jacob's allotted heritage. That's the promised children, the children of Israel. That's you and I adopted into the, the bloodline of Abraham, if you will. That's us. God found you and I in a desert land in the howling waste of the wilderness in chaos. That wilderness word, in chaos. God encircled you and I, he cared for you and I, and God kept you and I as the apple of his eye. He thinks very highly of us. He looks on us with love and tenderness and mercy and, and, and compassion. And he encircles, and then in 11, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions or on its wings. Imagine a mother eagle, strong and majestic, beautiful and the symbol of, of mightiness as, it, as they soar on the winds. But in her nest, moving the sticks and the twigs and, and shaping the leaves and kind of softening it a little, not for her sake, but for her young one's sake. Preparing that nest and, and doting on the young, the fluttering over the young. The fluttering is the exact word for hovering that the Spirit was doing on the earth's chaos. Exact word. When the Holy Spirit is coming and drawing close to the earth and looking at the chaos and looking at the void and looking at the, the formlessness of it all, there is a loving tenderness in his considerations, about to prepare this nest for my young. When God is hovering close to you, he is this mother eagle fluttering over his young, hovering close to shelter and to pick up the young, catching them, bearing them up, spreading out the wings like a, like a shield from the darts of the enemy chasing off the other birds or the snakes or the other animals that would seek to do harm. And if the baby birds need to be fed, feeding the baby birds. That's you and I. 
It's very tender and it's very compassionate when the, the Lord considers your chaos. Not like an iron rod, but like a loving eagle. This brings to mind as, as Jesus was entering Jerusalem for the last time and, and he looks over the city. You know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, right? I'm paraphrasing, but along there he goes, like a, like a mother hen, I, will, I tried to draw you under. Have we ever seen those videos of a mama hen with the little chicks that get up underneath the feathers and they're warm and protected? And Jesus thought of that, of, of Jerusalem, his people, you and I. Moses is saying that about God's people, you and I. And in verse 12, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. We need God to draw close to us. We need to be found in whatever desert land we are living in or if we have been brought out of it. Praise God for salvation and saving and redemption. But we're not done yet. Until Jesus comes back and sin is no more and the enemy of souls is finally chained up in his abusos, we still need God to consider us in our chaos. We still need God to consider us in the world's chaos. We still need God to hover over us through the ministry of His Holy Spirit, holding out His wings and fluttering close and kind of drawing us into a prepared nest, lifting us up when we trip and we stumble. We need a God who considers our chaos. We need a God who will guide us out of our wilderness, and out of our wasteland. My friends, when you, are, when you are looking at all the headlines and you are looking at your own family experience and you're looking at your own participation in church, where it starts to feel chaotic or without form and void, pray that in those moments God draws even closer. He helicopters a little bit nearer and he full holds out his wings like a loving eagle, like a mother hen seeking to protect and feed and bless you. My friends, we need God to consider us in our chaos. And by faith, we claim that he will do that not just today, but all the way to the end when Jesus comes to take us home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your love. We thank you that your love and your your sacrifice, your service on our behalf was embodied in Jesus, for you gave him to us. Lord, many of us face challenges. Some we share, many are very personal and very close. But you know what we are going through. You are not distant from us. You have not turned your back on us. You have not started us in your creation and then left us to fend for ourselves, but you are involved and interested in what we go through. And you are sympathetic and empathetic in what we experience. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would be that God who considers us, that God who blesses us, that God who fills us with what we need, that I pray that no foreign God would be found among us, but that you as our sovereign, our creator, our Lord and our Savior would be foremost in our lives, would be primary in our adoration, and that you would be who we seek after day by day. Lord, we pray all of these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.